Well, hi again, and welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. I'm Nurse Mo. I'm so excited that you're here with me today for episode 209, which is something I'm really excited about. Before I dive into what we're going to be talking about today, let's take a quick moment to give a shout out to my San fam. And this one goes to Cynthia. And Cynthia says, Thank you so much for everything you do for nursing students. I have listened to your podcasts, read your book, and signed up for study sesh. Today, I found out all my hard work paid off. I passed the NCLEX. My journey has been challenging, as most nursing school journeys can be, but with your encouragement, I kept moving towards my goal, one podcast, one class, one exam, one clinical assignment at a time. I want to encourage all of those who are struggling with school not to give up. I'm so excited to see where my new career takes me. Cynthia, thank you so much. I am so proud of you for passing your NCLEX, and I'm honored to have been a part of your nursing journey. So thank you for the update and all my best to you. So today's episode is going to be a Q&A, and I get a lot of questions from nursing students, and lately I've been getting a lot of questions about what to expect after graduation, how to do that transition a little more effectively, and I wanted to address some of the questions that I've gotten lately on that topic. So this is hopefully the first of many to come asked and answered episodes. So the first question is, how do you deal with everyone that tells you that you should start with at least one year working on a med search floor before going into a different area? And this is from Lori. And what I would say to Lori or to anybody else And students often ask this question because they didn't love their med surge clinicals. They're not excited about that specialty. It can be an amazing specialty, but you definitely have to have that skill set and that mindset, okay? So what I would say to someone who doesn't want to work on a med surge floor but keeps getting told over and over again that that's where you have to start, I'm going to say that nursing is hard enough without forcing yourself to work in a specialty you don't enjoy. So if med surge isn't your thing, or if peds isn't your thing, or if the ER isn't your thing, and that's where you're getting an offer, you don't have to do it, okay? There are plenty of facilities that are going to hire and train new nurses into plenty of other areas, I promise you. You can go into oncology. You can go into labor and delivery. You can go into postpartum or pediatrics or even the OR or critical care. Even psych nursing straight out of school, especially right now, if you're listening to this episode in real time, There's a big, dire need for nurses. So if you're listening right now and you're looking at graduating and you're looking at what your options might be, this is a really good time for you because you will have more options. Yes, you will learn a ton on a med surge floor. Absolutely. But if you're not happy in that environment where you have to juggle so many patients with such a wide variety of disease conditions, like some people do better when they can focus on a very specific type of subset, like I want to learn everything about oncology. 
Other people thrive in MedSurge because they are just super curious, love learning about the wide range of things. And yeah, you probably would thrive in that environment if that's you. But if it's not you and that's not what you want to do, I would advise not to force yourself to do something that you're not going to enjoy. So I started as a new grad in the medical ICU, and I would have floundered in a med surge unit. I would have floundered because the way my brain works, it just it just wouldn't have worked, you guys. I would have gotten way too distracted, way too flustered, juggling so much different types of information. What I loved about the ICU is that I could dive deep on two patients. That worked for me. If I had had to do more than that or more patients than that and in different kind of care, I would not have been able to survive. I know that. I don't have that skill set. Med surge nurses have absolutely the most amazing time management and prioritization skills. They're really comfortable in an environment where absolutely anything can and does happen and are well-versed in a wide wide variety of hands-on clinical skills. So if that sounds like something you're into, you'll love med surge nursing. That is an environment where you will thrive. If that's not you, if you like to focus in a little bit more and you feel like everyone's telling you that you have to do med surge, if that doesn't work for you, that doesn't work for the way your brain works, your mind works, your heart works, you don't have to do it, especially right now when there are so many options for new grad nurses. So our next question is from Liz, who says, I really want to work in the emergency room, but I only get six total days between clinical and precepting in that department. What can I do to learn the skills I need in that short of time? So something that nursing students are experiencing right now, because I'm recording this and we're still, you know, experiencing the effects of COVID-19 is a a big reduction in the clinical hours and even more than that, just missing out on complete areas of clinical, right? Some students are missing out on complete patient populations like pediatrics or complete care areas like uh, women's health or emergency room or operating room and not getting a lot of exposure to those things and not getting a lot of time to practice skills. So they're undoubtedly and understandably nervous about that and how they're going to transition to practice once they've gotten through school. So I just want you to know you're you're not alone, Liz, and anybody else who has this question. What I will say is that Hopefully, what I, what I would say, what I would think if I was working alongside you as a nurse mentoring you, no one expects you to know everything, especially right off the bat. You're showing up for your first day of work in the ER, hopefully. I hope you get a job there. Hopefully, no one expects you to know everything. That's why we train new graduate nurses. A good preceptor, a good mentor is going to understand that hands-on opportunities in nursing school have been limited lately. And you know what? Even when all your clinical hours are met, like I went to nursing school a while ago, I got hundreds of clinical hours. I still felt like I didn't have enough hands-on experience. You don't always get opportunities in clinical to do that hands-on stuff, right? You do a lot more of it. For many students, the bulk of their hands-on experience is on a mannequin 
or on a dummy arm or something like that from skills lab or simulation lab. So for example, when I was a student, I got to place exactly one. No, I take that back. I got to place exactly two Foley catheters. And that was that was a big win. Like a lot of students didn't ever get the opportunity to do that once. Definitely do, getting to do it twice was not the norm. I did it once in the emergency room and I got it on my first try. I was happy to say it was both uh, ladies. And then the second one I did in the OR when I was there for my labor and delivery clinical hours. So I only got a couple of opportunities to do that. When I went and did it for real on a real person in the ICU, do you think I felt like I knew what I was doing? Not really. I still wanted to be mentored and coached by my preceptor. I didn't place an NG tube on a real person until I did it as an RN because the opportunity just did not present itself while I was in school. And even now, you know, I've been a nurse now for 10 plus years. There's things all the time that I come across, skills that maybe I've never done or just haven't done in so long that I might as well not have done them. And so, yes, I am always going to be reaching out and asking questions and asking for someone else to show me the ropes. So my point is, I know you're going to start in the ER or wherever you start out and feel like you don't know what to do, especially with your hands-on skills. You can learn those skills really quickly, right? You've heard that adage, see one, do one, teach one. Basically, you watch someone do it once, the next time you do it yourself with their supervision, and then the third time you go and teach it to someone else. Like that's how quickly you can learn most of these hands-on clinical skills. So I don't want you to stress about that. Now, I want you to know that you are always going to be learning in nursing. And those hands-on skills is just one small part of that. The skills I want you to really find valuable, the ones that are going to enable you to learn that hands-on skill quickly, it's because of your deeper underlying nursing skills. And that's your critical thinking. That's your assessment skills. That's your clinical decision-making, your safe medication administration, your clear communication skills, and your ability to recognize when your patient is in trouble. Those are the key things, okay? That is what is most important. If you can't do any of those things, but you can place an IV like a pro, you're not a safe nurse. You're not going to be an effective nurse. But if you can do those other things, think critically, see when your patient is in trouble, communicate clearly, and all of that, you're a great nurse, even if you can't get an IV on the first try, okay? So I want you to just think about it in that context, and I hope that helps you feel a little bit more confidence as you embark on your clinical hours in the ER, your precepting hours in the ER, and then farther along than that as you branch out into your career. Okay, Kristen asked, what are the first months at the hospital going to be like with so little clinical experience? I'm in my final semester, and we've only had med surge clinicals, and by the time I'm done, I will only have had 17 days. So as you can see, kind of a theme right now with the nurses that are graduating, right? A lot of concern about not getting exposure to things. So, you know, this dovetails into what I just talked about in answering Liz's question. Without a lot of clinical hours, 
going to the hospital as the real nurse is going to feel very stressful and it's going to probably feel very overwhelming. I want you to accept that you're going to be pretty uncomfortable for a while and that's okay. If you're not uncomfortable, you're not growing. If you're not feeling challenged, you're not growing. My advice, though, is to try to get as much support as possible as you make this transition. And a key thing that you can do to ensure that you get that support is to start your career through a nurse residency program if you can get into one. So in a residency program, you'll get additional support, you'll get additional training. Most likely, most likely you'll have a dedicated preceptor, maybe two, because it's nice to have a backup person, um, and supplemental seminars, lectures, things like that. Now, if you're not able to start your career through a residency program, then I want you to have very direct conversations with the hiring manager. And I know this can be hard for a lot of new grads because for a lot of, especially like maybe younger nurses, maybe you haven't been in a situation where you've had these kinds of conversations with the hiring manager before. I want you to know it's absolutely okay to ask questions in your interview, okay? It's as much of you interviewing them to see if it's a good fit for you as it is for them to see if you're a good fit. So it does go both ways. So it's absolutely okay to ask very direct questions. Ask about what are your expectations for a new grad nurse? How long is the training? How long would you expect me to go through training before I'm able to function independently? How do you measure success? What is the plan for orienting new grad nurses? who have had their clinical hours greatly reduced. And if they don't have a way to answer that question, it shows that they're really out of touch with the current environment and that they may not have your best interests at heart. Many hospitals right now, especially, have such a dire need for nurses that orientation periods in a lot of cases have been reduced. And if you combine that with the reduced clinical hours that a lot of students have had, that's a recipe for disaster. So I would caution you to be very careful and hesitant about choosing a job that does not provide adequate training. If you don't feel that you can provide safe care in that environment, then you need to find someplace, a different place where you can work that will support you during this critical transition period. Your allegiance is not just to the hospital. It's not just to that unit that hired you. It's to your patients and to your license, okay? So with that said, your first few months are going to feel, again, very overwhelming. And you might even feel like you're starting from scratch. Like um, a lot of new nursings, uh, or rather a lot of new nurses often state they feel like they don't know anything. Like, what did I learn in nursing school? I don't know anything. You do. You know more than you think you do. Be kind to yourself. I would say keep a clinical journal so that you can really learn from and reflect from your experiences. And then just focus on learning and doing a little more every day. Definitely not going to be easy, but neither was nursing school and you made it through that. So I 100% believe in you and I hope that that helps. So this next question came from Casey, and I think this is a really good question. She says, how much time is appropriate to ask for time to consider multiple job offers or any job offer? 
So again, excellent question. And if you're not used to going through this kind of negotiation period, it can it can maybe feel a little awkward. You might feel a little unsure of yourself. But the good news is hiring managers are definitely used to these kinds of questions and situations. This is a very competitive market right now for the hospitals, right? So the hospitals are having a, you know, a tough time getting enough staff. So they definitely expect their applicants to have multiple offers. It's it's definitely okay. No one expects you to just apply to one place, to one unit in one hospital and not apply anywhere else. That would be really unreasonable. So don't think that they would be surprised if you were to say, I have multiple offers because they're probably pretty confident that you have multiple offers, at least right now in this environment that we're in right now. And it's always okay to be upfront and honest about that if you feel comfortable doing that. So if you have been offered a position, whether or not you have multiple offers or not, it's always appropriate to ask the hiring manager, the HR rep, whoever is uh, extending that offer to you, for a few days to consider the offer. Now, if you're not sure what to say, let's say you've got a couple of other offers and you want to weigh them against each other. You could say something like, this is a very attractive offer. I'm also expecting to hear from a couple of other facilities. May I ask when you need my decision by? And then they can say, I'd love to hear from you by Friday, or please take the weekend. Could we hear back from you by Monday? 100% totally normal situation. When you say a statement like that, hey, it shows your appreciation for them extending the offer. It shows that you're interested. And it shows that you are being transparent about your options, that you're a forthright, open, honest individual, and that you're showing them respect by getting back to them at an agreed upon date. Now, you might be uncomfortable doing that. Maybe the vibe you're getting is making you hesitant to be that forthright. You could simply say something like, oh, I really appreciate this offer. I would like to talk it over with my spouse or give it some careful consideration or think over all the things that you just said or verify this works with my childcare situation. It could be any of those things. And then simply can I let you know my decision on Monday? Or how soon do you need me to get back to you? Something like that. So you can always approach it from that way. If there's an employer that is not willing to give you time to consider an offer, then that could be a red flag. Now, they could be facing a time crunch for some reason. And, and if they are, and it's a legitimate reason, I would hope that they would express that to you. For instance, maybe there's a residency program that you've applied to, and it starts on a particular day. And that day is coming up. That would be a reason to be like, oh, we really need to hear from you by tomorrow afternoon. Okay. Or maybe the unit is just in such, such dire need. They can't wait. I would want to know that, and they should be honest about that. Remember, a job offer, again, is not just them checking you out. It's you also deciding if you want to work with them, too. It can be tough to transition from a student to a professional nurse. I remember when I started out as a new grad in the ICU, talk about feeling 
like a total imposter. I felt like I had no idea what I was doing. Did I really even belong here? And to say that my anxiety was through the roof was an understatement. But then I started with my nurse residency program and it really made all the difference. And that's why I want to tell you about the nurse residency program with HCA Healthcare. Now, this program supports newly graduating nursing students at those early stages of their careers. HCA Healthcare's year-long nurse residency program helps first-year nurses transition from the classroom to working in the field with confidence, develop critical thinking skills through hands-on clinical experience, and get support from a community of caring, experienced nurses and fellow nurse residents. Plus, nursing residents get access to a range of opportunities to learn from specialists in various areas like the ER, ICU, and surgical services. Not only that, HCA Healthcare's nurse residency program comes with other great benefits like tuition reimbursement and student loan assistance, 401k matching, clinical instruction by subject matter experts, continued support from mentors, and more. Build the foundation for your career at any of HCA Healthcare's 184 hospitals across 19 states. Students who are preparing to graduate and recent grads are eligible to apply to the nurse residency program at HCA Healthcare. Learn more today at careers.hcahealthcare.com slash residency. Again, that's careers.hcahealthcare.com slash residency. HCA Healthcare, an equal opportunity employer. This next question comes from Brooke, who says, how do you gain confidence walking into a patient's room and doing everything? So I think by everything, Brooke means like being the nurse who's in charge of this whole situation, right? So what I would say to Brooke or anybody who has this question is that confidence comes with time. Don't expect to think that on day one, you're going to feel confident, okay? The challenge that a lot of new nurses have is, and and they're really hard on themselves, and I was the same way. I wish I had had my future self to talk back to my past self, but what do you know? Hindsight's twenty twenty, right? The challenge is that new nurses often feel like they need to have confidence immediately or they're somehow inadequate. Um, we all need to take a step back from that and remember our good friend, Patricia Benner. So if you were in nursing school and your eyes glazed over every time someone said, let's talk about nursing theorists, I want to pull you back to Patricia Benner because her work does help alleviate a lot of that stress and those unrealistic expectations. So according to Benner's theory, nurses go through a progression throughout their careers. We start out as novices, then we become advanced beginners, then we become competent, then proficient, and then expert. So progression through these stages take times, and new grads often express that they feel incompetent when they're just starting out and expressing a ton of frustration if they've been on orientation for three weeks and can't handle a full patient assignment and get out on time and do all the charting and not feel like they're floundering. Um, Guess what? You're basically, that's how you're expected to feel. 
competency does not come into play for a while. So can we just all accept that it's going to be hard for the first year and get comfortable with being uncomfortable and just going through the steps like Dr. Benner knows what she's talking about, right? And her theory states it takes about 12 months for the new nurse to go from novice to advanced beginner. So that's a year. So when you are talking to yourself or you're talking to your other new nurse friends who three months into this are saying, man, I just, I'm never going to be able to get out on time. I'm never feel like I'm going to be able to handle a full patient assignment with any kind of ease that's pretty much where you're supposed to be. As long as you're practicing safely and prioritizing the priority interventions and assessments, you are doing just fine. So give yourself some grace. Accept that this is part of your journey and it is going to be ripe with learning at every single stage. Okay, another question that came in was about like communication and interacting with patients. And the question is, I'm afraid I don't know how to talk to patients or what to even do. I haven't had a lot of clinical experience, so I'm worried I'll look like a bad nurse or that I just don't know what I'm doing. Okay, so if this sounds like a question that you also have, honestly, again, this comes down to doing the job walking into patients' rooms, taking command of a situation over and over and over again. The comfort with it comes with time. So something that I've heard, you know, and this student and other students say is like, I I feel really awkward talking to my patients. I don't know how to talk to them. So um, what I say to this is patients are just people, okay? You can talk to them like they are regular people, I know in nursing school, I kind of feel like maybe not the best job of this because you're taught this very um, scripted, formal way of speaking to people that might not be how you normally would interact with someone. Um, I'm sure you've seen it. It's this, um, you know, kind of like, good morning, Mr. Richardson. I'm Louise, and I will be your nurse until 7 p.m. I'm going to assess your vital signs now and then administer your morning medication. It will take about 15 minutes. Do you have any questions before I begin? Like who talks like that? Nobody talks like that. And if you go into a room and you're gonna hear about scripting when you start your job and you maybe already have, it just makes you feel kind of like a robot. And if you don't think patients see right through that, then, um, you know, that's a little bit out of touch. So <laughs> what I would say is talk to your patients like they're real people. Yeah, hit the highlights, greet them, let them know what's going on, share the plan of the day, let them know who you are, um, ask if they have any questions, but you don't have to do it in such a stilted kind of way. So, you know, let's say I go into a patient's room in the morning, I'm probably going to say something like, hey, good morning, I'm Mo, I'm your nurse today. How are you feeling? And then I'm just going to let things go from there. I'm going to hear what they have to say. I'm going to, you know, then maybe segue into, okay, well, let's let's take your vital signs. We'll get your morning meds and then we'll see what's for breakfast, okay? And then I'm talking to them like a normal human being. And that's okay. So you can definitely do that. So the next thing that I want you to understand is that I know you're a new nurse. You're walking in the room. You probably feel a little awkward. 
a little bit unsure of yourself, well, the patient doesn't know you're a brand new nurse, right? Uh, chances are the person in that hospital bed is feeling more anxious than you are. They're feeling vulnerable. They're sick. They're recovering. They're in a hospital. Maybe they had surgery. Maybe they're facing, uh, you know, an uncertain diagnosis. So have a little bit of compassion for the uncertainty that they feel. And that can sometimes help you feel a little better. I don't know. Um, maybe this is just me, but okay, I'm not the best flyer on an airplane. I get, I just, you know, I just, ah. I have control issues and it's really hard for me to let somebody else fly the plane. Not that I know how to fly a plane, obviously, but um, it's just weird for me, right? I get a little anxious when I fly. So um, if the person sitting next to me is anxious, that helps me because, you know, I'm a, I'm a fixer, right? Nurses see problems and fix them. Now, suddenly I'm talking to that person, trying to draw them out, take their mind off their anxiety and I feel more in control. So there you go. That's my analogy about that, the nervous flyer analogy. Um, if you are with a patient and you're conveying anxiety, what do you think that's going to do for them? It's probably going to make their anxiety a little bit worse. So even if you're freaking out on the inside, I want you to get really good at practicing your poker face. Just try to keep your face kind of neutral, okay? Not that you're not showing concern or urgency, but don't let panic come into your voice or your face or your actions, okay? Because that can make the patient feel really, really scared. And then for uh, that question of, I don't know what to do, you know what to do. Um, if you're ever at a loss for what to do next, you can always assess, right? You can always start with that assessment. Get a set of vital signs. Listen to lungs. Look at wounds, check out dressings, ask about pain. You could even just simply check that your room is set up and your safety equipment is present. There's always something that you can assess. And I guarantee you, you learn things from each of those assessments, even if it's just a conversation and saying, how are you feeling? How was your night? How was your appetite? Are you feeling any nausea after you had lunch? Any of those things, any of those assessing type questions, conversations with the patient are going to give you a clue as to what the next action is. So this next question comes from Melanie, who says, what specific areas should we focus our studies on for NCLEX? So if you're preparing for NCLEX, it's really important to have a study plan that gives you plenty of time to review, but not so much time that you start to forget things you learned in nursing school and have to relearn them. So how long you prepare really is up to you, but it's best for most people to take it within about two months of graduating because that's when the information is going to be the most fresh. Now, I know sometimes there's delays and you may have no control over that, but don't purposefully schedule your test for four months after you graduate, okay? Try to get it done within that two months or so after you graduate. As for focusing your studying on specific areas, the only way to really know, to really know for sure what those areas are is by First, doing a comprehensive baseline practice assessment. And you can get these all over the place. You know, if you're using an NCLEX prep program, you can probably do it through, you know, UWorld or Kaplan or Hearst or whatever. They have one that you can get 
at NCLEX.com, and I'll put the link to that in the episode notes. But the general idea is you want to take a comprehensive practice exam so that you can get that breakdown of your results and see what areas you're really weakest in so that you can focus more studying on those. Okay, so do that as your first step, and then you'll know where to focus your studying. Okay, so I hope that helps, Melanie. So this next one, I didn't catch the student's name, but the question is, I have two offers. One is in a psychiatric facility close to my home, and it's hands down my favorite and somewhere where I can see myself staying. However, I also have an offer at a large, well-known magnet hospital that is still pretty close to home, maybe a little bit more of a commute, and it has a new grad program, and this would be on a med surge teleunit. She says she wants to pass up this offer and just go straight to psych, but feels like she might be making a huge mistake if she did that and doesn't really know how to decide. Okay, so this question comes up a lot because, again, you're told over and over and over again, you got to do med surge, you got to do med surge, you got to do med surge. And students do worry about this. There are a lot of reasons for this, and one of them is the skills, right? You feel like if you don't go to med surge and you go straight to something like psych or the OR where the skill set is vastly different, that you're going to lose your skills or not learn key skills that you technically feel like you should be learning as a new nurse. But again, there are a mountain of skills that you have that are not that hands-on type. And honestly, again, I could teach you that hands-on stuff in about five, 10 minutes, okay? It's the other things that are the most important. The critical thinking, the clinical judgment, the assessment skills, the communication skills, your ability to see that your patient is in trouble. That's what makes you a nurse. It's not that you can get an IV, or it's not that you can change a dressing that makes you a nurse. It's all those other things. So follow your heart. And so what I would say to this person, if you love psych and that lights you up, do psych. If you change your mind later and you want to go and become a med surge nurse, guess what? You can go apply. And when you have your interview, you say, my hands-on skills are a little rusty, so I will need some extra practice with those. But my communication skills and managing complex behavioral issues is spot on. And guess what? That's a skill that you could take anywhere. Again, the job is hard enough. Don't make it harder by doing something that you're not 1,000% excited about. Okay? So trust me on this one. This next question is another one from Melanie who says, what are some red flags to look for while interviewing? Excellent, excellent question. So there are probably more red flags than this, but these are the things that would be most likely stand out really obviously. So one of them would be a unit that does not have a system for providing breaks. So... When I used to work in the ICU, when I first started there, there was no system for the breaks. And I worked night shift initially. And to be honest, most of the time we clocked out 
for our 30 minutes, but we sat there at the nurse's station with our lunch so that we can monitor our patients and keep an eye on the monitors and chart or whatever. There was no system in place for us to leave the unit to go and have an actual break. So when there's no set system for this, chances are you're not getting a break or you're not getting a consistent break. So you can ask the hiring manager, how do you ensure nurses get their breaks? And if you wanted to query that a little more or it was part of the conversation, you know, you could ask about break relief nurses, who covers breaks, does the charge nurse do it, etc. If the manager tells you, oh, the nurses cover each other for their breaks, huge red flag and a pretty good indicator that there are going to be days when you do not get a break. Another red flag could be not taking you on a tour of the unit or not having a good reason why they can't accommodate a tour. Now, you're not necessarily going to get a tour with every place that you interview, especially if there are multiple layers of interviews. They may save tours for people that they're really, really interested in right at the time when they're making an offer. But if you never get a tour of the actual unit or floor where you're interviewing, this could be a red flag. Usually when the manager is proud of their unit, proud of all the things that they're doing, they want to take you around. They want to introduce you to key people and show off how awesome their unit is. If they don't do this, don't offer, say that they can't, this could be a red flag. Another red flag could be if the unit is mostly staffed by new hires, new grads, or travelers. All of these things point to the unit having a pretty significant staff retention problem. So a question that you could ask in the interview is, what's the skill level mix of your current staff? Do you have enough experienced staff available to mentor and teach a new hire? And see what they say. Along those same lines is another red flag of rushing new graduates through orientation. One of the worst things that a manager can do is pull a new grad off orientation to take a patient assignment. And yes, it happens. And if it happens on one day, the chances of it happening again are really pretty high. And before you know it, your orientation is over and you just got really shortchanged. So ask the hiring manager, how long are new grads on orientation and have you ever had to pull someone off orientation early to take an assignment when census is high? And see what they say to that one. Because I'm telling you, they will see that you are there. You are a registered nurse. You're licensed. Technically, you can take a patient. They'll pull you. And now you've got an assignment. And if you accept that assignment once, they know that you're going to accept it again. And absolutely, before you know it, orientation's over. You're on your own. Another red flag is mandatory overtime. So you can always ask about scheduling requirements and if extra shifts or overtime are mandatory when the census is high. A well-run unit and well-run hospital should be able to manage their staffing needs without placing undue burden on the nurses themselves. They have float pools. They have other ways that they can get the staff that they need. Another red flag, and the last one here, is a high turnover rate. A high turnover rate and a lot of open positions 
could be a red flag. But keep in mind, there could be a legitimate reason for this. Like, for example, let's say you're interviewing in a unit and there's three open positions. And maybe it's because staff retention is a problem, or maybe it's because no one ever leaves that unit and three nurses worked there for 40 years and they just retired. Okay, so that would be two complete different opposite reasons, right? Really low staff retention or really high staff retention with suddenly some people retire and now there's a handful of spots. So if, you know, the cause for the open positions is a positive one, they're probably going to give you that explanation. Oh, we just had some great nurses all retire at the same time. But a really simple question to ask is how many positions are open at this time and possibly also How many new staff have you hired in the past six months? And if it's a lot, that's a high turnover rate and a red flag. Okay, this next question comes from Amber, who says, should I look for a residency or internship program as my first job? What I am saying to Amber and anybody with this question is absolutely yes. I'm a firm believer in nurse residency programs and talk about their benefits in an entire episode dedicated to this. If you want to check that out, it's episode 205. And then Chiara says, how do you keep a positive mindset about starting your career when so many people seem to be talking so negatively about nursing right now. Okay, so to Chiara or anybody else who has this concern, has seen this happen, and is not sure quite how to feel about it, I'm not going to lie, okay? Nursing is hard right now. But the truth of the matter is there are going to be negative people in nursing, in any job, really. But definitely, there are going to be negative people in nursing no matter where you go or when you go there. So what I try to do when I encounter someone who's clearly very unhappy is I try to extend my compassion to that other person because I've been in that position of feeling incredibly drained incredibly burned out from my job. So when I encounter a nurse who's exhausted, depleted, and yes, even negative, I work hard to give them some grace because they are going through a hard time. Okay. No one wakes up thinking, I'm going to hate my job and hate my life today and spread negativity all over the place. Nobody does that. They're struggling. And while it could be really easy to judge someone for that behavior, we can't possibly know what other people are feeling or going through. So I give them some grace. At the same time, I also set boundaries. So if someone else is having a bad experience, I set a boundary so that I don't let that experience become my own or the expectation that I have for my own experience. So my advice to you is go into your career with an open mind and of course, an open heart. See what it's like for yourself. You may love it. You may not love it. You won't know until you actually for real do it. And if you find that you don't love it or you don't love the job that you're in, the floor that you're on, then I encourage you to look for other opportunities in nursing. There are so many avenues to explore if you are willing to step outside of your comfort zone and sometimes even think outside the box a little bit. Maybe you 
will have to retrain. Maybe you'll have to commute. Maybe you'll have to work a different shift. But if you're willing to step outside of your comfort zone, you can find so many things to do in nursing. And I hope some things that you love. So I hope that you liked this format. If you do, let me know and I will do others. I have no shortage of questions that I get sent from nursing students, pre-nursing students, new grads, soon-to-be grads. So keep them coming. Let me know if you like this and we will do it again. So I will see you back here next week. We are diving back into med surge land and we will be looking at myeloproliferative neoplasms. So I will see you then. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing. 